What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the podcast. This is the Making the Turn podcast, and I am your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And um, we're at the... uh, East Tennessee Research Facility for University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, we're at the Turfgrass Field Days, and I'm getting a chance to sit down with people. Uh, we're hosting the podcast from here on location, and it's a beautiful sunny day. And um, I've got Mr. Dr. Brandon Horvath with me. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, BJ. How are you? I'm good. Appreciate you sitting down and doing this. Yeah, thanks you, for having you me. Have you enjoyed on. the day so far? Yeah, it's been great. Yep. It's always uh, always tough to stand up and give the same talk four times in a row and then switch and then give the next talk four times in a row but you know after you I always joke around that by the third talk that's usually the really good one yeah and uh, because you've remembered what you wanted to say and and what you didn't you know might have forgotten to say in the first couple so yeah it's been a great day it's been a beautiful weather day so it's awesome yep and uh couldn't have dialed this up any better no I mean not too hot spectacularly nice for late August yep so what, what is your official uh, title at the University of Tennessee? So I'm an associate professor okay. in uh, the Department of Plant Sciences, uh-huh. and my specialty is uh, turf grass diseases, so right. uh, I'm a plant pathologist. Yeah, the, the, the dreaded plant pathologist, mm-hmm. the, the guy that bores you to death, right? Oh, yeah, and if I have a million-dollar <laughs> smile when I show up at your golf course or your athletic <laughs> facility, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, you're the guy that nobody wants to see but nope. needs your help quite regularly <laughs> yes i've got lots of pictures from this summer of yeah. hey doc what's this yeah and it's, it's so what's new in the disease world i don't get a, this is the this is a topic i i have not covered or talked about it at all it's a you know we're in a in the green industry it's a turf grass you know golf course podcast but so what's new what's some of the things you're seeing um what are you working on say at the at the field day what what, what have you been talking about yeah so we've had um uh you know the the biggest the, the the biggest thing that's happened in the last probably half a dozen years has been, in this part of the country has been the shift from uh the cool season grasses on putting surfaces like creeping bent grass sure. to moving towards uh ultra dwarf bermuda grass uh-huh. uh so uh we do a, a lot more now than we have in the past where we're looking at diseases on ultra dwarfs uh, that mostly happens in the fall and in the spring right. so the, the summer type field day it's not the right timing for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but there's still a considerable number of folks that have creeping bent grass in this area and and you know we we talk about with our students here that in this part of the country in knoxville 
we're right in the heart of the transition zone. So we're right where we're kind of at the edge of adaptation of the warm season grasses and we're at the ed edge of adaptation of the cool season grasses. Right. And so this is where all the problems happen. Uh -huh. And this is where it's tough to keep turf in good shape. So we grow all the grasses equally poorly. Right. Heard and, that before. <laughs> yep. And so, uh, you know, for us, the, the, bi the biggest things that are, are kind of coming down the pipe, are, there's a few new products that we've been talking about today that uh, are kind of exciting. Uh, and then uh, research-wise, I think the things that I, I'm interested in are um, large patch on zoysia grass, which is a, a big disease for, uh -huh. for growers here in this part of the country. It's, it's uh, routinely very difficult to control effectively. Right. Um, and so we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years kind of trying to dig into how that, why that is and how that works and are there ways that we can modify our applications to make them work better. And we right. found some, some things that we think can can help that and then um i've i've you know kind of a passion project for me has been working on dollar spot i did my phd on dollar spot and right. i've kind of continued to work on dollar spot and um you know one of the things that's neat about um some of the work that we've been doing lately is is uh we've actually been uh we've discovered through kind of a happenstance of another project that dollar spot's really sensitive to ultraviolet light Okay. And so we're looking at ways that we might be able to use ultraviolet light to control the Isn't disease. that weird? <laughs> so it's like spraying with yeah, light. Right. Uh, which would be no chemicals and things like that. So right. that'd be awesome. And then I guess the third thing that I, I'm pretty interested in and work uh, is a little more early in the process is I'm a, I'm a big golfer. Yep. And so um, I like things on the playability side of stuff too. And so right. I've been doing some work where I'm looking at how when we do a surface disruption treatment like uh, coreification or uh, uh, verticutting or things like that, how sure. does that affect how the ball rolls on the putting surface? Uh -huh. And and I've also kind of gotten into, and I've been giving talks throughout the, the past uh, fall and winter, um, using some of the data that gets produced like on the PGA Tour with shot link and things like okay. that, using that data to then... Uh, help superintendents explain to golfers because golfers are starting to use this information and starting to understand how to use it to help their game. Right. And so I think superintendents can take advantage of that and use it to explain why certain management practices are done yep. and what what's a reasonable expectation for a certain management practice. You know, right. you hear superintendents all the time talk about, oh, you know, bunkers. My bunkers aren't, you know, my members say my bunkers aren't consistent enough. And it's yeah. like, well, how often are they getting up and down at, out of a greenside bunker. Right. And they, you know, typically you talk to the average member golfer and they expect to get up and down six, seven, eight times out of ten. And the reason why they're not doing it is because the superintendent isn't taking care of the bunkers good enough. Right. And then you look at the shot link data and you realize that the top players on the on the tour in perfect bunkers are right. getting up and down like five and a half, six times out of ten. Yeah. And they're the best guys right. in the world. <laughs> and so Yeah. Expecting seven or eight is a little bit unrealistic. Oh, yeah. And they're going to always blame the guy who's taking care of them, too. Right. There's no doubt about that. So um, as far as when you receive a sample or if you have a, a, to diagnose a disease, um, what do you need to know specifically what type of grass type it is, what you're looking for, or, or are all the pathogens sort of, whether it's Bermuda, Bent, are they, are they I mean, because I'm assuming that some, green, uh, some are susceptible to both. Do you, do you need to know that? What is it sort of some of the things you're looking for as far as yes. diagnosing something? So when we get um, when we get a, a sample, and, and I don't do uh, 
like regular diagnostics in in my lab right. because I have a actually at the university I have a teaching and research appointment. So okay, doing the diagnostics things is is harder for me to do, but. Right. Um, I will do them from time to time, and and then I I also have colleagues like uh, Jim Kearns at NC State that has a really nice diagnostic lab, and right. I encourage a lot of folks to send samples there, and and yes, you you can identify the grass pretty quickly if it's not just totally decimated right. in the sample, so you can tell what it is, and that does help narrow the spectrum down because sure. there's certain uh, there's certain diseases that do occur on one grass or another. So Uh that's going to help limit what the possibilities are. Right. But then it's really diagnostics is really a, um, almost an art kind of based on science. So, because the question's always, well, how much of it has to be there before, you know, that's the problem versus something else you can see is there that's maybe not as much or whatever. So you're always kind of making that judgment call. Right. Um, but the biggest thing is, and superintendents can do this or or turf managers can do this, that just be, be observant and, and, and make the observation of like, what is it that's seems to be going on here? Um, symptoms can tell you a lot. Right. Um, so seeing what what the pattern is on a surface or whatever that can help kind of narrow the possibilities. Right. Um, and then uh, you know a simple Ziploc bag, taking a, a sample and putting it in a Ziploc bag and seeing if you can get the fungus to grow or, right. or what have you. That that can help too. So you know yeah you need to know the grass species. That's pretty easy to figure out. And then from there you're just kind of trying to look through that sample and observe what's present right or in some cases what's not present sure right and then and then once you start to you know see it then then it kind of becomes like being a doctor in Uh the sense that you know you see it over and over and over again and you start to see the same patterns every time and then it becomes like you can almost guess what it's going to be when you pull it out of the box right so talk me through what you've got going here, some of the, the research that you're looking at, uh, specifically some of the things that you're trying to get a handle on. And uh, I know you've got some greens that are down there and you're doing some disease pressure stuff and some yep. control. So tell me what you got going on down there. So so we have a couple of research greens, and one research green uh, that we have is, is built on a shallow root zone. Okay. And it holds water like a bathtub. So... Um, it has no internal drainage, and so <laughs> just perfect it, ideal conditions. It, oh, it's great, and yeah. it just stews in its own juice. Right, and it, you know, as the temperature rises over the summer, we get lots of pythium root rot. That's one of the diseases that I do a lot of work on. Okay, and it just is a perfect setting for being able to do that. The right. grass just starts to kind of melt away, and you can see where fungicides have been applied. That that's not the case. They're holding in, and and the quality's pretty high. Yeah. So, um, so we 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 do a lot of work with pythium root rot. Um, the the b- big ones right now, Segway is a big fungicide that is used for that disease. Sure. Uh, so we're looking at different ways to use that, different intervals and timings. Um, and then uh, there's a, a product that's uh, heading to market called Union, which is a combination of Siazafamid, which is what's in Segway, okay. and Azoxystrobin, which is what's in Heritage. Right. And uh, that's a pretty exciting product because you now pick up a little broader spectrum of control, so you get a little bit of brown patch. Uh, you pick up, um, you're able to get um, the, the Pythium control as well. Sure. And the Azoxystrobin will help with that. And so you, you can see, you know, it, it's going to be a, a, 
you know, probably a, a pretty important product yeah. in the marketplace. And then the other thing that, that we looked at with that trial is we also looked at the impact of the application method, right? right. So typically what we recommend, especially in this part of the country, is that you go out and apply on a preventative basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to show the attendees today, it was very clear, we had two trials side by side, one that was applied preventatively, and then the same trial, but it, we waited until we saw disease, okay. and then we started applying, so that's curatively. Mm-hmm. And so when we did that, we were able to um, show that the curative treatments, even though the rates might be higher and the intervals are shorter, uh-huh. they still struggle to kind of keep up. Whereas in the preventative trial, we could use lower rates and longer intervals, uh-huh. depending on the, the rate and treatment combo. Uh, we could use lower rates and longer intervals and get season-long, you know, effective control. Right. Where it was clear that, yeah, there's probably some disease there, but there wasn't much, and it's a terrible environment to grow grass. Right. And, and they're holding on really strong. And yeah. So it just really demonstrates, you know, how important preventative applications are. Yeah. And that... You know, a lot of folks will say, well, why are you spraying when you don't see a disease? Uh, you know, putting that product into the environment. Well, I would counter with when you wait to see it, then you have to use more of it yeah. and you have to use it more often. And so I would rather use less of it less frequently All right. and and get it before it even starts happening. Well, do you think the reason why the curative, when you're applying things after you see it versus the preventative is because damage gets done while i mean it may even before you even notice it the damage to the turf grass in what you've described as a pretty awful environment gets done the, the turf grass just has a hard time recovering out of it even though the the fungicide may be there it's attacking what's damaged the turf already whereas if you provide provide it or apply it preventatively then you don't have any damage and the turf grass sort of strives it's i, I always equate grass it's a living thing you know it's like taking vitamins you want to get sick and then take the medicine or do you want to kind of do Absolutely. things prior to it so yeah that's exactly yeah. it is that that oftentimes we have uh we have activity in the plant prior to when you see a symptom develop. Sure. so that's absolutely true yeah uh, and, and so those pathogens are active before you see something. And so you have to, if you want to achieve effective control, you need to do that before you see the symptoms. Right. Um, and and I, would, I would tell people, being a former superintendent, this is something, you know, because it comes down to a lot of times dollars and cents and people have to make decisions. And, I, and if you're just talking about your greens, let's, you know, hey, let's not take an, if you can afford to put it out preventatively, that's the way better option for oh, you. Absolutely. And, um, and I know you guys, that's kind of why you're, you know, providing a, a, you know, sort of the research to back that up is, hey, this makes a lot more sense. You may even be saving money in the long run mm-hmm. because you talked about the rates. So um, I think that's a great thing. And then I would say the preventative way to go if you're dealing with your greens for sure is, oh, absolutely. makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, you know. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. And then, um, the other uh, set of trials that we talked about uh, this morning were uh, a couple of trials on fairy ring control. Okay. Um, and we were looking there at, um, at uh, a product called Pedigree, uh, which is a, a, for, a new formulation of flutolanil, which is pro, used to be ProStar. And that uh, material is, um, is, is pretty exciting. And it's always been kind of the gold standard for right. fairy ring yep. control. Um, so we were looking at that because it's a new formulation, liquid formulation. You don't have the wettable powder to deal with. 
And, that's big. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And and then um, we had another trial where we were looking at. Is uh, that available now? I I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's on the market just yet or not, but, but it's, it's coming very close. Okay. If it's not already, sure. and um, and then uh, another uh, trial we were looking at. Um, two new products from BASF, um, Maxtima and Navicon. And Maxtima is a new uh, DMI. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Navicon takes the, the Maxtima and partners it up with Fluxapyroxad, which is um, um, the active ingredient in Exemplar. Okay. And they, um, so they have, uh, you know, they've got the, kind of their SDHI chemistry, and now they've partnered it up with a DMI. Yep. But it's a new DMI and a mm-hmm. new class within the, the overall mode of action, so it's kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, we were looking at fairy ring control there, and the big differences that we saw there were um, they had us watering uh, watering the plots w- with an eighth of an inch of irrigation or a, a quarter inch of irrigation. Uh-huh. And what was interesting was we saw some differences in the – the quarter inch of irrigation, we saw less effective control than in the eighth of an inch of irrigation with the same treatment. So gotcha. we were kind of seeing that, you know, there's always that question of, well, how much do I water when I water something in? Right. And I always kind of hedge around a tenth to an eighth of an inch. And I think that that's kind of the right number unless you know for sure that you need a larger amount of water to move it deeper into the profile or what right. have you that that tenth or an eighth of an inch is about right to get it to where you need it to go yeah yeah um what what that's always a tricky one because some people think that they just put out a fungicide and they don't have to do anything and and there's depending on what you're battling or what you're going after there's you know contacts and systemics and you can get into all that kind of how all that works but you know, sometimes you got to water it in. Sometimes you need to let it sit there, and, and there's so many different options. And I think uh, people that need to one know what they're going after, especially if they're doing it preventatively and what they're trying to do, and, and then how the how the actual fungicide itself works is that. And so you, you touched on it a little bit, but speak a little bit about the how the fungicides work. Where you know, depending on the specific, specific disease, what you're looking for, and, and why it's important to water it in or not. Yeah, one of the one of the big things that we've seen in the last couple of years is that um, we are getting to the point where we pretty much recommend watering in every fungicide that okay. you apply. The only exceptions to that would be uh, fungicides that are like a contact fungicide, like uh, Dacanel, for example, yeah. uh, where you want leaf coverage. Sure. Um, but this, most of the systemic materials, which is a, a large majority of the fungicides that we have on the market, uh, are systemic materials that really just move vertically in the plant using the the water flow of the plant so in the xylem and so in order to get that material into the plant and and move up towards the leaf tips as effectively as possible the farther down in the plant you get it in okay the better and so you really want those adventitious roots in the upper root zone taking the material up and then moving it up rather than putting it at the leaf and then it moves to the leaf tip right and so you don't get the whole plant coverage so we've seen a real change in the last couple of years of you know pretty much recommending almost every application get watered in lightly Uh unless it is something you're directly trying to do something on the foliage right um so those would be like Dacanil, which is a contact fungicide, and then some of the products 
uh, although we have we have done studies with watering it in not watering it in and there's some differences but right. they're it doesn't change how the material works really yeah uh are those products from bear that have the stress guard technology in it right. that have like a you know a pigment and, and some other stuff that help improve the turf quality and so we've seen some of that yep. uh, with some of those trials um and and um and and really the the material the the key thing is that if you're dealing with um any of the diseases like dollar spot anthracnose leaf spot those kinds of things that that um they're much more susceptible to development of fungicide resistance. Uh-huh. So you want to make sure that you're alternating or rotating different chemistries. Right. So it's really important to kind of, you know, my students always ask, why do we got to know all these? And it's, <laughs> and it's like, because not understanding how to rotate things leads to, yeah. you know, me getting a text message 10 years from now saying I sprayed and there's a list of 10 fungicides and every one of them has yep. a strobilurin in it. And you're like, yeah, I get that you use different products, but they all have the same mode of action in it. Right. You know, so you really have to kind of know and pay attention to that kind of stuff when you're putting together a fungicide program. Sure. I, I'm. Um, you mentioned the stress guard and like the the bear products and 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 I think Syngenta's is called like Action or Acid Benzolar. Yeah. Are you pretty high on those types of products? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have. Um, we have a number of trials with Syngenta as well with their action materials. Yep. So they've got Heritage Action, Secure Action, and Dacanil Action. Right. And all of those are use the acibenzolar, which is kind of turning on a defense mechanism inside the plant and kind of priming the plant for attack before it gets attacked. Right. And so, yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh, you know, interested in those kinds of materials. Definitely there's some, some assistance there that that helps the plant resist some disease. Uh, and then uh, Syngenta also has a peer, which is a phosphite material that has a pigment associated yeah. with it. So it's, again, looking at kind of that light management kind of piece sure. where the, the pigment's helping, you know, filter out some different wavelengths of light, and that helps the plant do photosynthesis a little better. Right. And, uh, and that's similar to the stress guard stuff as well. So, yeah, we're definitely looking at, at those kinds of products. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the technology. I think that uh, some of the new stuff out in, in fungicides are just like anything else. They're getting more and more technical, and, and I, I'm a big fan of the action products. I use those, but and but all of them in general. Like, And I think that I'm all – and I, I go back to what I was talking about, about plant health. It's just the more you can do, the better off and safer you'll be. I mean, maybe a little bit more in the wallet, but it's uh, – it's something that I, I think looks really good. So oh, absolutely, yeah. and I and I think you know the you know like the the thing to me is there's always a question of cost, like you were saying before with budgets and yeah. things like that. But um, I always look at it like, um, you know, I had a, a friend of mine that's a superintendent that for a year decided to use post patent, you know, generic type materials. Yeah, and his observation was I thought pretty spot on. He said, you know. I get just as good a disease control, but I feel like I've gone back in time because now my sprayer clogs and yeah. and, and, then, and it's not that the materials are, are not going to work. The active ingredients are the same, et cetera, but it's that, you know, the milling of the, the material that goes into the formulation might not be quite as precise because right. it's cheaper to do it that way. And you you care about your your bottom dollar, so we're not going to make it perfect. And then ma- that might plug a screen in your sprayer. And sorry, you got to you know take care of that. Yeah. But you know you want it cheap, not good. Right. And so it kind of goes into that that situation where it's 
you're you're kind of penny wise and pound foolish yep. um, in my mind y- using the 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 products that are supported and backed by you know peer you know peer reviewed and independent sure. research like we do because we're not afraid i mean you know we you see it boils up every couple of years there's that undercurrent in the industry where you'll have a couple of folks suggest that you know a, a university professor is doing this and they're they're in the pocket of bear or syngenta right. or whatever right and 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 i always you know one of the things that i talk about a lot is that you know the the superintendent the turf manager never sees the stuff that we say to those research reps when we're working on something that's very early in the pipeline that's a dog right it's absolutely awful <laughs> and we'll spray it out and it's like look guys this is dead yeah doesn't work right and they go yep okay we're going to cancel that that just saved us 250 million dollars right and they they cancel it well the superintendent never sees that right. part of the conversation they only see us going hey this is amazing this really works it was like well yeah it really works because i just saw three dogs in a row right and this one you know works like a champ yep and so it, it's really important to keep that in mind too. Is that we're we're looking at products that never see the light of day, right? You know, and helping them kind of independently look at that and evaluate that, and have the confidence to be able to go to them and go, "Listen, guys, this isn't working." Right. You know, because the risk that they take internally is that you get somebody that's they they're going to tell them what they think they want to hear because they're it's the you know they're in the company. Right. And so it, it it's important for them to get that external independent voice that says yeah this works or no this doesn't yeah and and then it's not just this location but it's the 12 other locations across the country where that protocol is put out sure oh look the results were all the same and it's it's a dog everywhere right we're done yeah then do you do uh research products with the generics or do you just strictly with the name branded stuff uh most of the support comes from the the name brand stuff um there are some materials that are that are post patent that we we work with um the the company that has consistently and regularly been very supportive of research and 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 cares about making a quality post patent material is qualipro sure they have they have been one company that year in and year out has come to the table yeah and and um and, and, and put funding behind looking at, at their materials, right. even though those materials are post-patent. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's it, there's not as many of those companies that will support that work. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure. just like with weed resistance, you've got some disease resistance. Do you see that? And what are what some of the things you're seeing as far as resistance and diseases? Yeah, we see... Um, we see some fungicide resistance. The, the, the kind of the, the cutting edge right now with fungicide resistance is that um, we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the old conventional wisdom was, okay, if you used, say, Banner, a DMI, and you uh-huh. used it too frequently, and then you got resistance to dollar spot, well, then you're resistant to every DMI, mm-hmm. right? And what there's some some research that's being done right now that's kind of showing that that's not necessarily the case and so there's the possibility that we may end up at a place here in the next five to seven years where you know if you think you have fungicide resistance to a particular chemistry you might send an you know an example of your disease into a lab they'll grow it up test it against all the other fungicides and then give you back a fungicide profile saying well yeah you're resistant to this but you could use x y z and and b yeah and 
other than that, they're going to be resistant. But those four you could still use in sure. that same class. And so that's kind of exciting is right. that that possibility exists because we're finding that not every, uh, not every fungicide uh, resistance case means that you're resistant to every fungicide in the class. Right. Um, and, and for us, the, the ones that we see most frequently are resi- fungicide resistance in dollar spot. Um, and that's just because folks are applying often enough that they, they apply right. it often enough to see it. Uh, and then the other one that crops up from, from time to time more recently has been some uh, resistance in leaf spot on ultradwarf Bermuda grass. Okay. And that's because, you know, ultradwarf folks try to avoid <coughs> a couple of different classes of fungicides. And so they end up spraying the same fungicides over right. and over and over again. And then that kind of creates the perfect storm. So it's really kind of critical for them to kind of think through how they're going to rotate and alternate chemistries to get effective control without developing it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, I, I think as, as more people spray and getting in their routines, I mean, I think it's going to be something they're going to deal with. I mean, we are, it's a big, I guess it's a bigger issue in weeds and, and controlling weeds right now, but I mean, you may speak differently about that. Yeah. I would say that it's, it's, it's certainly a hot button issue right now. I know now I can lose weeds. grass if I get a disease and I can't get rid of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and uh, and and I know that it's a it's a hot button issue in weeds. Um, and I think one of the things that that we've been real successful with uh, with the team that we have here at UT is that um, you know one of Dr. Brosnan's early graduate students working right. on a on a herbicide resistance project. I encouraged both him and and Jim to look at a population of plants which is typically what we do in in on the fungal side and on the but the pathogen side is that you don't look at one dollar spot and go oh it's resistant so we have resistance you look sure. at 50 or 100 dollar spots in a in a population and say okay <coughs> how many of these out of 100 are resistant because uh-huh. there're going to be a few sensitive ones in right. there and so they did that with annual bluegrass, where they we had a local site that they thought might be resistant to glyphosate, and uh, they also knew that it was resistant to one of the other classes of herbicide. I can't remember exactly which one. And so then I said, well, why don't we get why don't we collect some populations of plants, right? And then screen those populations of plants against these herbicides. And what we found was that yes, the population had a large majority of individuals that were resistant to one or the other, but then we also were able to find that there was a, a smaller number that were resistant to both, uh-huh. which was a novel thing. Sure. And then we also found that there was a population that was res- was sensitive to both. Okay. And so then I said, well, if this superintendent lays off these two classes of herbicides... We could go back in five or six years and see if we've shifted the population towards being more sensitive again. Right. Which is something that we don't get to do as often in the fungal world. Right. And and so that was really exciting. Yeah. And and something that with with Dr. Brosnan and myself and Dr. Sorokin and Dr. Samples all being, you know, very, you know, we get along really well. We're, right. We work together as a team. So, you know, he was very open to doing that and designing a project that was very unique in the world of, of weed science mm-hmm. in this part of the world. There's uh, there was, And then as he started doing that, he discovered there was a group in Australia that was doing exactly that and had been doing exactly that for a number of years. And right. so he was go, able to go over and work with them and, and get to know them. And so that's really kind of helped him, you know, elevate his program 
in in herbicide resistance sure. and then that helps with stuff that we want to work on and fungicide resistance because yeah. they might develop some techniques that help us so right. it's it's been really a, a nice uh, relationship and a place to work in that regard sure how, how do you build or determine what you want to work on as far as a research project goes from a disease standpoint? Is that is that something you've thought out or got ideas that, you know, um, you sort of lay the groundwork for and then want to go, go after? Or does you have chemical companies coming after you saying, hey, we need some, we need some data on this? So that's uh, a little bit of a loaded question, BJ, because um, <laughs> we've got... Um, I'm not, I'm sorry if it's a... No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, 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 it's awesome because yeah. it, it, honestly, it's the short answer is yeah. it's one of the coolest parts of my job. Sure. I can work on whatever I want. Okay. Anything I want. Yeah. And if I find it interesting, I can go down the rabbit hole and go figure it out. Gotcha. So that's an awesome part of my job. Yeah, that and makes, it's yeah. part of what makes me love what I do. Sure. Um, but we do have, you know, companies coming to us and saying, hey, we need, you know, data on this or that. Right. So that's a part of what we do. Um, and then there's things that we've are you know wondering about and and like the dollar spot stuff i was talking about that's kind of a passion project it's not funded by anybody necessarily we'll go after funding from time to time on it but that's just something that i'm interested in and want to work on and then there's other projects where uh a lot of times it's brought on by a question from a superintendent you know i'll be out with a superintendent and he'll ask me like why do you suppose that is yeah and i'll be like i don't know and I'll be thinking about it more, and it'll just kind of pique, you know, some curiosity. And then say, well, you know, he's not the only one that's ever seen that. I've seen it on there and there sure. and there and there. So let's go figure this out and help everybody. Right. And and that was a case. A good example is uh, what we call take-all patch on, on ultradorf Bermuda grass. Uh-huh. Um, down farther south, they see what is more typically called take-all Root rot, rot, root rot or take all decline uh-huh. and, and that generally manifests itself in a Bermuda grass green where it's kind of a diffuse kind of nondescript area that starts to thin and then when you go in you can find the pathogen okay and and a couple of years ago here we were in Nashville and we had a number of superintendents ask us to come out and look at these weird patches on their greens in the fall and then in the spring and they were kind of whitish and they they were thinning the turf, yeah. and uh, and and when we went in and looked at it, there was there was the take-all pathogen was there, and so, but it was a distinct patch, was very different from what you see down farther south, uh-huh. and uh, we've been able to you know figure out some successful controls once we kind of knew what we were dealing with. But right. that's a classic example of you know superintendents going, hey, I don't know what this is, and right. we went over and went, neither do we. Let's figure it out. Yeah, so there's. There's that, there's the whatever you want to work on, and the chemical, it's all three of those things kind of together that determine what we do. Yeah. Do you, do you make recommendations for guys for bent grass or like fungicide programs? Do you, do you, is that something you get into or do you? Yeah, I'll help, I'll help superintendents, you know, yeah. if they contact me and ask me questions or whatever. I don't, I don't typically do a lot of writing of a program. Right. Um, I, I have done that in the past with some, uh, some friends or or folks that i've worked with but typically the the main way that happens is they might have a program they might send it to me and say hey what do you think about x for you know i i kind of think i'm weak on pythium control what do you think can you look at my program and then i might look at it and go yeah i think it's a little weak you might want to think about this or that and so that that that's kind of how it works is it's more of a collaborative process i don't 
I don't really want the the mantle of figure, <laughs> figuring it out and sure. handing it off and going, yeah. you know, here, you get to blame me if it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think you would want to be in that position, but I, I, I know there's a lot of guys sometimes who rely on people that study and, and have the information. And, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. Sometimes we can be lazy about what, how we want to look at things and, you know, think about things, and you're trying to put your budgets together and look at, you know, you know, hey, give me something to kind of work with. and I'll. Yeah, know, ev- I'll, everybody would like the, you know, the Ron Popeil version, yeah. set it and forget it. Yeah. And, and and I would say that, you know, there's been some examples of that in, in my career where um, somebody's followed a program and then run into a problem or, or whatever. But, like, you're exactly right. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the things that tend to uh, catch a superintendent off guard are the things that they don't see on a regular basis that yeah. we might see sure. on a regular basis. And I, the example I always think of is this uh, – this golf course up in the northeast i was up there visiting one of our student interns that was on his internship and the superintendent said you know can you come out and take a look at this area and we get out on this green and it's like half dead right and he thinks it was the year that uh, bacterial wilt was a big deal so he thought he had bacterial wilt and he was all happy about that because he could tell all of his friends that he had bacterial wilt and he was going to go out and spend you know a bunch of money spraying things that he probably shouldn't be spraying and uh and and I said, I, I'm pretty sure this is Pythium root rot. I see it all the time. Yeah. And kind of hemmed and hawed. And, and he said, I said, well, you're taking me to play golf in New Jersey tomorrow. Why don't you just get a sample? We'll drop it off to Rich Buckley at Rutgers, and yeah. we'll know by the evening whether I'm right or not. Right. And and in the meantime, go spray what I want you to spray, and and let's see if it doesn't get better. Right. And so we we do that. And uh, sure enough, Rich calls back. It's pythium root rot, so we know the fungicide was the right thing to do. And uh, that Friday, that was like on a Wednesday, and that Friday, so like three days later, just before I left to go to the airport, I went back up on that green, stood in the same spot, took a picture, so you could see side by side. And you can see, you know, I tell superintendents, a camera is your most powerful weapon because it's so easy to get locked into looking at the same thing over and over and over again and going, is it getting better? Is it yeah. getting better? What do you think? And, and But the camera shows you, you know, you take the picture, you walk away for a couple of days, come back, take the same picture, and you can look side by side and go, oh, yeah, that is getting better. Yeah. And uh, and, and so then my flight got canceled. I'm, I'm there for Saturday. Uh, called the superintendent, stayed. I had already checked out of my hotel, so the assistant let me stay with him. And I said, I'm just going to come in in the morning and hang out with you guys. And he yeah. goes, no, nah, play golf. I'm like, you got members and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. And he yeah. said, no, no, play golf. And so he hooks me up with these three members going out, you know, pretty much first out. And, uh, and the, the caddy master walks out and announces to the three members that Dr. Brandon Horvath from the University of Tennessee is going to play golf with them. And they're, they're like, looking over their shoulders like, Who? <laughs> And, you know, this whole deal. So we yeah. get through uh, about eight, nine holes, and this is up in the northeast. So they, you know, there's an edge to the folks from the sure. northeast. And so there's the one guy that's the talker. Yeah. And he's in my face the whole time asking me questions. You know, what's wrong with this green? I Awful out place here. to be. I played out here on Wednesday. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, I pay good money to be a member here, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I think it'll be better. It's a disease you guys don't get very often. And uh, we get up there, and he's walking around going, oh, my gosh, Dr. Horvath, this is amazing. Thank you. Oh, wow. Fellas, I was up here on – it was ten times worse than this. 
oh, my goodness. He could, couldn't stop singing the sure. praises. We get down on the next tee, puts a finger in my face, and he says, how come you know about this stuff and the superintendent doesn't? Yeah. Uh, what? Um, and I don't <laughs> know. I was always the kid that came up with a good comeback about yeah. 30 minutes after I needed it. Yeah. And I, for whatever reason, Providence hit me, and I said, well, what do you do when you get sick? And he said, I go to the doctor. And I said, well, what happens if the doctor doesn't know what's wrong with you? He said, he sends me to a specialist. I said, that's right. I'm the specialist. Yeah. I said, I know this disease like the back of my hand. This superintendent only sees it every once in a blue moon. Yeah. He knows everything else that happens here out here like clockwork. But that one caught him off guard because he doesn't ever see it. Yeah. And he went, good answer. I like you. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good story. It's a good it's a good thing uh, for people to kind of understand that uh, you're not going to have all the answers, no. but getting to know people like you, getting to create relationships that, you know, hey, that's the one thing about this business is there's people that will help you. There's oh, specialists, as you call them. That, oh, yeah. They can uh, get you the answer because that could have gone a thousand different ways if you did, you know. Oh, if, absolutely. You know, and, and you, you answered it the way you should have, but I've, I've seen situations where it's not really been the case. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the superintendent, like, what was so funny about it was, so then the guy took me in the pro shop and introduced me to two, two dozen members. Sure. Right? Oh, he's here to help the superintendent, da 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 yep. And I go down and tell the superintendent, and he chuckles and goes, why do you think I wanted you to play golf? Yep. Because he knew. He knew. Who he was setting me up with. Yeah. And he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? He goes, because it wouldn't have been as natural. Yeah, and you would have probably been on, you know, on your, guard. Guard, your guard would have been up. Right. So um, we've talked a lot of technical stuff, and, Lord, I'm sure we could talk about a lot of that. But I don't, I don't know if I got to ask you in the, in the beginning, how did, what's your sort of career path? How did you end up here? Oh, great. Thanks for asking about that. Sure. It's, um, it's an interesting story. So I was a pharmacy major when I was an undergrad. Drug dealer. Yes, sir. And I can count pills. I'm a very good counter. <laughs> and, uh, and I count by fours. They tried to make us count by fives. And for whatever reason, I didn't see fives in the tray. Because like, okay. you kind of look at the tray and you see the pills in there. And you, and you kind of pick out sets of five and pull them over. Right. Five, 10, 15, 20. Well, I saw fours for whatever reason. And so I would do fours and I just count like one, two, three, four, five, and then go five times four is 20. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and they didn't like that much. And, uh, there's and, one more than one way to skin a cat in there. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, there was that. Well, then, um, my sophomore year, my parents who were nice enough to pay for my college education, um, I went to Butler University at the time. I was a, a sophomore at Butler University, and we were, I was getting ready to start my junior year. And that summer, my parents kind of came to me and said, look, you know, Butler is a private school. It's really expensive. Um, we will keep paying what it costs to go to Ohio State mm-hmm. if you want to stay at Butler. Or you can go to Ohio State, and we'll continue to pay for it. Well, I was no dummy. Yeah. Zero college debt is a good thing, sure. so I transferred to Ohio State. Well, there was a question that summer whether or not there was going to be an open seat in the pharmacy school, um, and so it's kind of like med school. If there's there's X number of seats, and if right. everybody's in them, you got to wait. So there was a kind of a question about whether I was going to get into into their school, and so then I'd have to take you know the gen ed classes sure. until it opened up and open up. Yep. And then I was also in the process. I had gone down to Nashville, actually, at uh, Springhouse, uh, Gaylord Springs now, 
uh, and taken a set of lessons from the the guy that I took lessons from when I was a kid because I had only had like five lessons with him when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And then I was in college playing golf, and uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers were um, uh, on the golf team at Butler, and I was competing with them and hanging with them. And they're like, why aren't you on the golf team? I was like, because yeah. I'm not that good. And yeah. they're like, well, we're on the golf team. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'll be on the golf team. Yeah. So uh, I was getting my game in shape that summer, and I worked at a driving range and met a golf course superintendent. Yeah. And, like, we could stop right there, and I could just say, and you know, the rest is history. Sure. But, um, you know, he talked to me about, like, well, if you like science and chemistry and golf, like, you'll love this stuff. Yeah. And I was hooked. I had never been to a private club um, prior to that. Right. And he, he invited me to come to work with him one morning, and I went to work. And, of course, I did the, you know, you know knowing what I know now, it was all the good stuff, right? right? Like, we rode around in the cart and, you know, changed some holes and <laughs> changed some towels on the ball washer. Sure. And yep. then we went in and had some breakfast in the clubhouse. Oh, and then, this is great. And then we read, and I was like, this is what you do every day. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yep. And, you know, and then there were no irrigation leaks that day. Right. There was, you know, none of that stuff. And, uh, and so it was, I proudly went home and told my parents I was going to major in agronomy at Ohio state. Yeah. And my dad was like, excuse me, I'm going to pay for you to do what? Yeah. And I said, well, it's, it's farming. It, it's it's farming and it's pure. And he's like, I'm not paying for you to get a college degree in farming. <laughs> and and a couple weeks later, uh, he had a doctor's appointment and his physician said, "Well, that's fantastic." I said, "He said we pay our golf course superintendent in my club a six figure salary." Yeah. And all of a sudden, my dad was like, "That's a great choice." And if you talk to him today, yeah. he's 83 years old. If you talk to him today, he, he tells a completely different story about how he told his son to chase his dreams and he's living them. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's not quite how it went down. Right. So you, did, you, did you ever get in the golf business before you ended up being in the, uh, the yeah, ed- so I education? Did, so at, when I was an undergrad, I worked um, at a couple of golf clubs uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. I worked at Scioto my, oh, uh, yeah. my first semester there. Uh, with Scott McLean and um, um, I can never remember his first Mark Yoder, and then um, and then I worked at New Albany Country Club with uh, Tony Mancuso. Okay. And Tony's yep. now he used to be at uh, Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta, and now he is in uh, South Korea uh, at the golf courses that host the CJ Cup for the PGA Tour. Like this this winter, like uh-huh. uh, like in December or whatever, they go over to. Asia on that Asia swing of the PGA sure. Tour, and uh, and he's over there at that golf course, and and I had um, that summer had a, a really good experience with Tony, learned some things um, that you know really helped me grow as a person, right? Um, you know, some things that I shouldn't have done that I did incorrectly as a young person, not right. knowing how to communicate properly and things like that. But uh, that summer, I also uh, had gotten hired in. Uh, and had a uh, kind of a, an agreement or an understanding because my parents were having their uh, 25th wedding anniversary and they had already bought plane tickets and everything for us, for right. the whole family to go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of us know, like, if you're on an internship and you're, you're taking a two-week vacation, let alone to Hawaii, sure. it's kind of frowned upon. Yeah. And they, they were fine with it. So, we, so I went and, and when I came back, um, I had a, a, 
a conversation with uh, one of the assistants, and the conversation, I, I won't get into the details, but the conversation went a, in a direction where at the end of that time, I sat down with Tony, and we talked a lot about becoming a superintendent versus I was very interested in the science side of things and right. whatnot already. And so we talked a lot about going to graduate school versus being a superintendent. And, and Tony was somebody that really kind of helped me form that decision about right. what to do. Um, and, and I'm convinced now, you know, I get paid to kill grass for a living. Yeah. And I, I'm not real good at growing top quality turf. Yeah. So I'm not sure I would have been a very good superintendent. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Yeah. You're, especially if you're in, you enjoyed the tinkering side of things, because yeah. you sound like the the kind of guy that would be out there always trying to see what I could mess up or figure out or you know spray on this or do this and you know what what can I wreck and that that's not always a great thing. No, that just generally doesn't end up <laughs> yeah. going well for you at a, at most places. Yeah, it's um, not no, it wouldn't. And then uh, you know you like to tinker a little bit. I you know and I, I certainly have done my fair share, but I, I did it in small doses. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's worked out for you. I mean, you're, you know, a doctor here at the uh, University of Tennessee. It's uh, uh, all things I hear is the program is on the rise and doing great. I mean, the field day was a success. I mean, it's winding down now, but, you know, I don't know what the final numbers were, but it looked like, you know, it easy four or 500 people here. Yeah, we had like 450-something pre-registered, and, yeah. and then we usually get 100, 150 walk-ups, so we should be right in that mid-500s to 600. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that's pretty exciting to see. The The team is definitely – it's it's just a really good group of folks to work with. Yep. Um, I, you know, I'd be remiss in, in not mentioning – I you know, I have a, a guy that works with me, David Shell, who's a former master student of mine, mm -hmm. and, and he works – you know, kind of he's my right and, and sometimes left arm. Sure. Uh, putting out the trials and doing the day-to-day -day work, which frees me up to do the tinkering and the thinking and the things like that, which right. I think is, you know, something that's really important for us. And, and you know, it's uh, it, it's something that I, I feel pretty – uh, passionate about about what we're doing here at UT in terms of the overall direction of the program yep. and how we how well we work together that I think we're we're poised to move in a very positive direction yeah. in the next five to seven years yeah it looks great I mean y'all y'all do a great job everybody that I've talked to has has been nothing but you know singing you guys praises for not only the help you do in the surrounding areas and, you know, with the superintendents and the sports turfs and all all the guys that, are, you know, that have hopefully come and checked out the place and done things. And, and you know, and I mean, I just kudos to you guys and all that you do. And, and I, pre, I think I've covered pretty much all of you guys now with uh, being on the podcast. So that's been exciting for me to get to know you guys a little more and talk to you about some of the things you're into and uh, hope uh, get to do more of that. Yeah, I would love to have have that opportunity. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's it's nice to hear those things too that, sure. that folks notice. You know, it's it's you get up and stand up at a conference or whatever and give a presentation or at field day and and when you're standing there talking, everybody's trying to be respectful and so they're yeah. listening and they you're lucky if they kind of nod their head or whatever, but you don't really get to hear what they you know you can't read people yep. about what they're really thinking. And it always amazes me, like, you go to a conference and then somebody grabs you afterwards and goes, wow, that was really good. Yeah. And you're just like, I was looking at you during the presentation, you looked like you were bored out of your gourd. Right. And and they 
they love you know love it and had a good time and all that kind of stuff and i think that's a you know that's something that's really nice to hear is yep. that folks do notice when when we're interacting with them and they're getting something valuable out of it sure one of the things that I've I've gotten it's sort of a byproduct, but it's been something that I've it's really been good for me with this podcast is a lot of times you 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 don't get to sit down with people and talk to them and have a conversation because there's just so much you can do in a short amount of time. Or if you're listening, you know a lot of times you're giving a speech, you're kind of regurgitating stuff, and you don't get feedback, and you don't get to talk to people. And this has allowed me to to get guys like yourself to just talk and just talk about the things you're passionate about, the things you got working on, give a little bit more in-depth content to what's going on. And I, I really think that, the, that that's been the success of what, what I've had and some of the things that people have enjoyed about it the most is that not only they get to hear about you and what you're into, but they also get to know a little bit of the personal side of you and maybe they don't even know you. And then now they might feel a little bit more inclined to reach out to you and talk to you or just say, hey, you know, I, I love hearing you on the podcast and, Appreciate what you said, and I, or may have something in common with you. You know, yeah, that's absolutely. been something that I've enjoyed. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, and speaking of reaching out, like if anybody does want to, it's real easy to reach me on social media sure. at, at UT Turf Path. Um, I do Twitter uh, mostly, but I'll get on Instagram and and whatever occasionally, yep. um, and and happy to interact with folks there. Yep. You know, I get lots of questions on Twitter and things like that. So yep. it's always it's always fun to have that interaction like sure. you said you know get to know people and it's it for me it's fun on social media where you know somebody reaches out from someplace else in the world and you make a connection and then you're at a conference and the person comes up to you and you can you, you almost feel like you've already met them yep and that's kind of a cool thing yeah well i um i, I certainly know your time is valuable and i appreciate you sitting down and doing this and uh, it's the end of the day and uh you know, it's uh, been a great day, and, I'm, and I've been f- having a lot of fun doing this. But uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for sitting down and sharing some of the things you're, you've been doing here. Absolutely. I had a great time, and, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to showcase our program. Awesome. And we'll have to uh, – I guess I, we didn't even talk about your golf, but we'll have to get out and play some. I enjoy golf a lot. I would so, love to do that. Yeah. That would be great. All right, Brandon. We'll uh, appreciate it. And, um, guys, that's the end of the, the uh, episode, and I appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks for all the uh, – the kind words and uh, be sure to go check it out. Uh, check out the podcast. It's uh, available pretty much anywhere. And uh, till next time, this is making the turn. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.